Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. the unbelievable podcast i am bj Rydell, back here with my guy drew mahold and today we have your very first of 2021 minnesota viking victory there it is folks we finally got there it took three weeks but ultimately your minnesota vikings have a 30 to 17 victory over the seattle seahawks to move to a one and two record for the 2021 season um, and inspires some optimism along the way. I mean, this was a fantastic performance uh, by a lot of different stretches here, and we'll, you know, um, go over a handful of them here. Uh, of course, the quarterback, Kirk Cousins, was amazing. We'll dive deep into uh, his performance and kind of, you know, the level of play that we're seeing from him uh, overall this season and kind of peaked uh, this past weekend here uh, in Minnesota against Seattle. Uh, the defense was nice as well. We'll talk about that. And then we'll hand out some game balls, which is something we haven't been able to do the previous two weeks because, of course, the Vikings lost. But now that they're on the, the winning side of the ball, uh, we're going to we're gonna pick a couple guys who really stood out for us here. So that is the overall game plan today. Uh, should be a relatively quick one, but we'll see what happens. So, all right, let's jump into this, starting with the man of the hour, Kirk Cousins. Uh, first and foremost, I mean, this guy gets a lot of heat from just about everyone. Uh, this show included, myself definitely included. Um, so it's important that, you know, object. if we're going to be an objective show, that we're going to point out when this guy is flaming hot as well. Uh, and this was about as good as I've ever seen Kirk Cousins play, not just in Minnesota, but in his entire football career. Front to back, this is one of the most complete performances you're going to get out of the guy, just in terms of his vision, awareness in the pocket, moving to different mm-hmm. levels of the formation. I mean, he was he was beating down Seattle's defense basically consistently throughout the first half. And then he was solid again in the second half to, to get the Vikings enough points to get this victory. Really, really strong performance from, from Kirk Cousins here in a game that you had to win. Yeah, this was a, to me, a must win kind of for the season. Um, I think if you go on three, things start to kind of unravel here and a lot of different questions are asked um, despite, you know, what I think we all agree. The Vikings were pretty competitive those first two weeks, Obviously, the point differential was a total of four points um, in two losses. And so, you know, you knew they were close uh, and they were kind of bound to have one go their way. And that was I think that was really my reason for picking the Vikings against the Seahawks was, you know, they're playing well enough to win games. It's just not happening. Um, and so, 
that was, you know, we saw Kirk Cousins, the way he's played basically since halftime of the Bengals game. Um, he kind of continued that play, um, really efficient throwing down the field. I did want to bring up a stat here um, that I had noted yesterday from, I believe it was pro football focus. Yeah. So he has the top passer rating on throws 10 or more yards downfield this year at 152.4 for pass rating, which is damn near perfect. So um, he's efficient with the ball. And I think it also shows how well Thielen, Jefferson, KJ Osborne are doing, Mm -hmm. getting separation down the field um, and the way that the, the Vikings are able to get vertical there. So I, uh, you know, Offense isn't having any issues now. I know that was a concern coming out of preseason a little bit there. And in that first kind of half against Cincinnati was, can this offense gel like it did towards the end of 2020? And it looks like they're on track and, and Kirk is a big reason for it. And, uh, you know, so obviously a lot of football left, but uh, you got to give it to eight. He's been awesome uh, so far in three games. Absolutely. Especially when, and this is going to become probably a more prominent talking point as we get deeper into the season here, but there are 17 weeks of football, right? Uh, That second loss on the year coming in week two doesn't necessarily hurt as much as it would have in previous years. I think it sucks that you lose to Arizona because Arizona is probably going to be in that wild card hunt with the Vikings at the end of the year. But the AFC loss to the Bengals, I mean, we could overlook that one by in a month now um, if things kind of go the way we expect them to you know, in the next couple of weeks here. Um, and especially with Cincinnati too. I mean, they look pretty good. So um, not a, uh, not terrible, not a terrible one and two, especially considering that, of course, you're not one and zero at home, which yeah. you're supposed to win. I mean, right? there's the Vikings one and two and there's the bears one and two. Those exactly. are very, very different things right now. So that's a good point. You know, I mean, what is, is it Bill Parcells? that says that you are, you, what your record says you are. Yeah. I mean, I think the Vikings are one and two. Like they're, I, I, I'm not leaning into this being a division champion, NFC champion level team just yet. Uh, but I will say that they are a competitive one and two. I expect them to win more than eight games this season based off the performance against at least two good teams, maybe three, um, to start the year here. Uh, and I, and really, my biggest thing is. You've got Kirk Cousins playing consistent football for now six straight quarters. Um, if you want to stretch that further, you probably could a little bit. I'm okay with it. His overall performance against Cincinnati was not bad by any means. So consistent football for basically three games. Great football for six quarters for sure. And the rest of this team is kind of progressing alongside that, right? You've got Cousins giving you the consistency that you need at the most important position in the NFL. And now you're starting to see other guys start to come along as well. We've seen the flashes from KJ Osborne, of course, week two being the most prominent of that. I alluded to the idea that Justin Jefferson might be experiencing a bit of a sophomore slump. Um, I'm still a little concerned with the drops, but I'm definitely not going to put that phrasing next to his name just yet after the performance that he just had last week, despite another kind of concerning drop is what I would call it. And Adam Thielen does not look his age straight up. I don't think any of us expected him to be the number one again this year. And yet here we are three weeks in, and this is probably definitively your number one receiver, despite having Jefferson and a rising KJ Osborne on your team. Right. And Adam Thielen continues to be one of the best, if not the best red zone threat in the game. And just, he's just so savvy about creating space, even though the field is limited in that area, right. um, which is, is, it's cool to see a guy like that who, again, he's over 30 years old, uh, but he's still smart enough and he knows how to use leverage properly. He, the, the, the cool thing he does, and he does this with all those little kind of post routes into the end zone 
um, or whether it's maybe breaking to the outside is he's able to like lean into defensive backs in a way that is not pushing off, but he kind of used his shoulder leans into them and then they kind of fall back uh, off balance a little bit. And then he cuts inside and it's, it's open every single time. And when that time, when that's timed, right, it's a little bit like that Rogers to Devonta Adams uh, back shoulder throw, where if that's timed, right. And the only executes that little lean in to the chest of the DB and breaks in, uh, it, it's it's curtains for the defense. And you saw that on that touchdown in the game against Seattle. You saw it a couple of times against Arizona. So uh, Adam Thielen continues to be one of the best red zone threats. He's the most trustworthy receiver um, that Kirk Cousins has certainly ever had, I think. Um, and I, that's why I really like the Vikings moving forward offensively as they have two weapons now. I mean, you saw Jefferson too on his touchdown route with that little whip route. Uh, about inside the five, like, you know, you can run play action on that roll out to the right. And that's going to be open if it's single coverage every single time. So, um, and I like the way Clint uh, is, is creating those mismatches there, or at least those one-on-one opportunities where you scheme that up, you time it right. And Kirk to Thielen, Kirk to Jefferson, it's going to be open very often. And so uh, this team is headed, certainly heading the right way offensively. I have no doubt about it. It's a great way to build a receiver core, right? Build it off of guys who are going to create separation, not necessarily are just talented, but also fundamentally elite, right? I think yeah. we can definitely say that about Thielen. I think Jefferson is as close as they come, you know, for a second year player in terms of his route running. Um, and Osborne, I mean, I've liked what I've seen. That I, I'm going back to that third down route against Arizona, that quick slant that he ran over the middle to get open on like the Jarius Wright route, basically. Yep. I mean, that's that's a skill in the NFL to get open that quickly and, you know, go beat one on one off the line. Um, so you got three solid route runners, th- two probably elite caliber route runners. Now you got Conklin showed up for uh, week three. He had what, six catches. He had a bunch of key third down ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked the one especially where there was a it looked like a miscommunication of some sort on, on a play where basically the, the play kind of broke down and Kirk didn't have anything. And then he kind of scrambled around a little bit and Conklin found himself open and got, I think, almost the first down out of that play. So that's a cool thing to see where Kirk maybe would have eaten that one or taken a sack there most of the time. But he kind of, you know, uh, extends the play a little bit, scrambles to his left. Conklin kind of goes with him and you find that option. So there's a lot of positives there. And again, a number three option of some kind was sort of my big, a huge question mark for me, um, a big concern for me with this team. Uh, all of last season, this past off season and between Osborne and Conklin, I've certainly, I feel way better about that concern um, than I did. So, you know, you have maybe Osborne didn't have the production per se, this game against Seattle to get two catches for like 25 yards, but Conklin stepped up um, as a big target, a big safe safety valve for Kirk. And I think between those two, you have some really good third options that um, were kind of unforeseen coming into the season. Absolutely. A couple sugarcoating points here on Adam Thielen specifically. Um, obviously, we're sugarcoating, you know, an Oreo right now because this is already a treat uh, offensively. But Adam Thielen is a young 31 years old, right? Uh, something interesting to think about. Of course, he didn't play wide receiver until he was 26. So, uh, you know, the first two years of his career when he was 24 and 25, a total of 20 receptions. So, I mean, the body wear and tear. Uh, probably lower for him than your average 31 year old receiver. So something to consider as he continues to extend what has already been, you know, a pretty prolific tenure with the Vikings. Also, I wanted to make a note of when you say a red zone option or when anyone says a red zone option, uh, we always think kind of inside the five yard line, right? Like you think about the fade routes or the quick crosser or whatever kind of crazy scheme these guys have came up with to get the ball inside five yards. 
the red zone's 20 yards, folks. Um, and Adam Thielen does some of his best work in that 15 to 20 range, as you saw in his touchdown this week. I mean, he took a heavy hit over the middle on that on that touchdown. Um uh, but he held on, so he's got kind of that Anquan Bolden t- trait where he can catch in traffic, which is huge in the red zone when it's you know five to twenty yards as opposed to zero to five yards. So another thing to keep in mind when you know when you're evaluating this red zone offense, I mean they're scoring from fifteen to twenty yards out too. It's not just you know having to figure out some sort of option for when you're five yards deep and you're looking for that big body guy. Mm-hmm. Um, they do well inside the twenty and have been doing well um, for the most part this year. Um, one kind of low note, which I know you wanted to talk about as well. And this kind of bleeds right into the conversation that I was having. I might, we might as well touch on it. Now the call that Mike Zimmer made towards the end of the football game Mm -hmm. to push the score to 30 to 17, right? Uh, Greg Joseph hits his third field goal, by the way, kudos to Greg Joseph. Um, huge for him to go three for three off of, you know, the most heartbreaking thing, his his life, by the way, his occupation. So good for him. Um, but the decision to kick there specifically, um, yeah, I hate that twenty-yard field goal. I um, hate it so much. Like, you had, what was it? A fourth and three situation? It was four. It was fourth and one from like the yard and a half yard. I mean, okay. it was like one and a half yard line. It was inside the two, not quite at the one. Uh, so the Vikings are up 27-17. I have to look up exactly how much time was left, but I believe it was in the four-minute range, uh, roughly in there, uh, something I'll like that. Talking. Um, but it was, uh, you can maybe find the exact time, but basically the Vikings were up by 10. I mean, really the game's over anyway. Um, I mean, there's not a lot of time left as it is. And I mean, all right, I've got the Four actual minutes and 31 seconds left. Yeah. So I've got the, I've got this. So I don't know if you guys follow, uh, you know, Ben Baldwin, he's works for the athletic. He covers Seattle Seahawks. He's pretty deep into like the analytics side of things. He's got, he's got, this, on he's, got he's got the fourth down decision bot on Twitter, which is what I went to for this. Um, so essentially going into this decision, the Vikings had 95 plus percent chance to win this game anyway. Um, and so his, his fourth down decision bot basically analyzes straight by analytics, win percentage, um, you know, what the decision should be on any fourth down decision in the NFL. And it tells you, it spits out like what the recommendation should be for each team in that scenario. Uh, The strong recommendation for this one was to go for it. Although obviously this decision was not super consequential because it was a 10 point game with four minutes left. A field goal attempt in general gives the Vikings a 96% chance to win a go for it decision gives them a 98% chance to win. So, I mean, it's not obviously a small difference there, but, the thing I want to point at is if they get this, they go for it and get a touchdown, hundred percent chance. If the field goal attempt goes in, it's still 96% chance. Right. So your decision to kick an uh, kick a field goal there and you make it, it doesn't even impact your chances of winning. Right. I mean, it and does. It's probably, it's probably, it's probably a minuscule where it's like 96.1 to like 96.4, but it's a very minuscule improvement. You go for that and you get it. Game's over. If and what you happens go for if it you and you don't get it? You get 95%. Exactly. So Not that big of a deal. You drop by 1%. So, and now these are, this is a very kind of uh, low consequence decision where this in particular does not, didn't really impact the Vikings' chances that much because again, they already right. were in a very good position to win this game. Um, but it concerns me and it annoys me because there, it, there could very well be a scenario down the road this season where the Vikings are in a, more uh, meaningful game, division opponent, what have you, a a similar decision is made 
uh, where they just get conservative, kick the field goal instead of going for the touchdown to end the game. And it costs the Vikings. And I mean, so the, the thing I I'm concerned about here, when you're when you up by 10, a touchdown makes that three possession game provided the extra point goes through. Right. So a 10 point game becomes a 17 point game. That game's over at 34 to 17. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter if there's even seven minutes left, that game's over. I'm concerned now because I feel like this thought process is similar. If the Vikings are up by, let's say three late in the game against the Packers, two minutes left down in the red zone there. It's a three point game and you can score a touchdown to go up 10 and ice the game, or you can kick a field goal, be up by six and they give the ball back to Rogers to have him go down and score a touchdown. Like that's the decision that I'm concerned. The Vikings will make is to kick that field goal, be concerned, play scared instead of going for the throw, going for that touchdown mm-hmm. to just end the game. And so that's, I think that process was bad. I think now in this Seattle game, if Harrison Smith is called for PI on that play, when he probably should have been deep on that fourth and 12, um, where he probably got there a little early and they didn't call it. So it was kind of bang, bang. Suddenly Seattle's at the one yard line. They probably score on the, one of the next couple of plays and the Vikings end up need, ends up needing a first down or an onside kick. They get it. I mean, that may not be a question if you just trust your offense to get one yard on fourth down and it's a touchdown game over. You're not worried about any of that. Seattle probably doesn't even take that shot. They're probably throwing in the towel themselves. So I don't know. I I really hate that decision. And I was actually at the game and I was visibly, I was like, so all the people around me are cheering for the defense to hold Seattle because it's still a game that's in hand when it shouldn't be, but it was a game in hand crowds going nuts for the defense. I'm sitting in my chair, basically pouting like a child because of that decision. Am I letting it affect me too much? Probably, but I was, I, I could not believe that they did not go for that fourth down. Um, the crowd booed it rightfully. So I was booing it. Um, I just hope that decision, that process doesn't come back to haunt the Vikings later on this year in a more meaningful game when, you know, a touchdown is able to seal a big win and instead they kick the field goal and they end up losing that game. Yeah. I'm with you a hundred percent. I think that you, said everything that really needs to be said on the subject. So I won't add much to it. My only kind of thing, kind of thought here is just that I'm surprised that Mike Zimmer doesn't like going for it in this specific fourth down situation, right? Cause the, the bad side of this equation, of course, is giving the ball to the Seahawks on where their own one yard one, line. Yeah. Or With your somewhere defense, inside the five. Not, I mean, you gotta go 95 plus yards and you get anyway. to do whatever the hell you want with your best toys and try to get two points out of this and make a joke out of the Seahawks. Why doesn't he like that? I don't, (laughs) I don't, that part baffles me with Mike Zimmer because I get the approach. So the, the one thing I'll add, right. Well, the one thing I'll add, the Vikings actually were, they made the right call last year at Seattle, the right mathematical win probability call to go for that fourth down when they were up by what five, I think on Seattle Um, late in the game, uh, first down would have iced the game games over. Uh, instead, they went for it. Madison was, ended up short. Seattle got the ball back, and they scored that touchdown. But he kicked that field goal. It's an eight-point game, right? And so, I mean, it's it's one of those where he made the right decision. It came back to bite him because it was technically the wrong result last year. Right. So I think he was a little bit hesitant this time around. But That's I, why I, results are so dangerous, though, honestly, because it's it, called it's, probability for a reason, and they're called right, odds right. for a reason. And I think we need to, like, I think the Vikings are getting, at least in this instance, too predicated on results when well, their first impression be, sucks. It should be about the process. 
um, in the process was right last year with the wrong result this year around. Now this is a, again, a, a decision that wasn't super consequential, but I don't want this to be passed over as I made the right call kicking that field goal. Cause we won the game wrong call. Uh, if things had been a split second different on that pass interference, potential pass interference down the field, that could have been a major, major difference in the result of this game. I'm just, I'm glad the Vikings got out of there with that, with, uh, you know, with, with the win that they did, because I don't like that process. And I hope the right call is made in a situation that comes up later this year. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fair. I mean, it's the safe call for sure. Um, you put yourself up two scores, but not two touchdowns, of course. Uh, that's the thing. Like a, a 30 to 17 game is a two possession game. 33 right. or uh, excuse me, a 27, 17 game is a two possession game. 30 to 17 game is a two possession game. Like right. it doesn't do that much for you. It really doesn't. So I don't know. I, I was very frustrated about that. It took me actually a while in the stadium to be like, okay, this is fine. The Vikings are going to win this game. It's okay. Like I was mentally, I needed, I needed more time than I probably should have to get over that, but let's just hope the right calls made the next time. <laughs> um, Really the only downside to the to basically the entire game, though. I kind of thought – I tried to use the same process that we used last week where we were saying, like, all right, if this field goal goes through, the conversation is much different, right? So I tried to flip this um, and say, like, you know, let's say the Seahawks did come back and win this game. What positive things would we still be talking about? What negatives were there? And really that coaching decision was really the only thing that kind of came to mind for me as, like, an egregious error by this team and the way they played. Obviously, you'd like to get touchdowns in the second half more than field goals. I think we would have potentially talked about that if the Vikings came around and lost this game. But ultimately here, they get the victory. And they do it without Dalvin Cook, too. I think it's important that we – I'm sure a lot of people mm -hmm. will be talking about Alexander Madison this week. Um, and there's certainly discussions to be had there with regard to how important he Usage. is to this team. Usage, yeah usage limits and kind of the dispersion that the Vikings should use moving forward. I've seen people use kind of the, the Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon model as kind of a, uh, a spring, a springboard for an argument for why you should be using Dalvin cook Madison at like 70, 30 or 60, 40. So there's discussions to be had there. I'd like a little bit bigger sample size to kind of finalize any decisions one way or the other, but it's definitive here that, Madison is an NFL quality running back, right? He is probably a starter on at least five or six teams. I came up with several of them. I mean, San Francisco, Tampa Bay, the New York Jets. I think you can make an argument for several other teams as well that he would actually be a bona fide starter, like definitively on those rosters. So NFL starter quality um, in your backfield here. He gives you 112 yards on the ground. He adds you the receiving element, six for 59. That's something that Adrian Peterson couldn't even do, folks. So, I mean, 170 total yards, solid blocker as well. Um, you definitely got more than you bargained for when Dalvin Cook is out. You hope that you get replacement level. You're okay with slightly below replacement level. You got, I don't want to say all pro, but like, like, fan voting caliber success from Alexander Madison on right. Dalvin Cook's day off. So right. there's a discussion to be had there about Dalvin Cook and I'm, how you should spread out that usage. I'm all for getting Madison more touches. Um, primarily, number one reason is just because it, it, stay, it salvages Cook's health and kind of wear and tear more, which I think is what you alluded to Green Bay and, and you know, the Jones-Dillon kind of combo or what they've done in the past with Jones and Jamal Williams. I like that a ton. Uh, Aaron Jones, it, it saves his health. Uh, you know, it makes him kind of last longer as they've also signed Jones to a recent kind of a contract extension. So same thing I think should be applied to Delvin Cook. The Saints do have, have done a pretty good job of that lately with, 
you know, like last couple of years, they've been mixing Latavius Murray, Taysom Hill, in addition with Alvin Kamara. So I think, you know, not putting Cook on the spot as the bell cow, I think there's a reason teams are going away from that. It's that you see these running backs, they have these careers that, you know, they peak kind of early in their careers at 25, 26 years old. They get an injury here or there, and suddenly they just plateau tremendously. Um, you know, I mean, you can come up with a bunch of names and examples there. Todd Gurley is the, the, the huge one. Le'Veon Bell is another. Like, those are two guys that three, four years ago, they were the peak, the top running backs in football, right? Um, and suddenly now they're – I mean, Todd Gurley is unemployed. Le'Veon Bell is on a practice squad. So This isn't new, by the way, either. Like, I mean, I, I'm like, for the older crowd, you guys remember what happened to Priest Holmes too, right? Like that guy went from being literally all pro three consecutive. Larry years Johnson, in a row. same team. I mean, that guy had a ton of usage. Like, I think he had like a record setting year for like carries. Oh, yeah. Very quickly became a nobody um, in the league. So it's it's not outrageous. And I know there's there's a few guys over the years that have kind of withstood that. Obviously, Adrian Peterson is kind of our example where the guy has yeah. kind of withstood that that element where he has the injury and kind of comes through and still is very productive. Um, you know, Emmett Smith was the guy that played forever, set records. You know, there's there's examples throughout history, but the vast majority of running backs that become really productive, you know, it doesn't last for more than five plus years. I mean, it's it's a pretty short term deal. So trying to preserve that with Dalvin, I mean, you have a guy like Alexander Madison who can produce like this, um, it is I think valuable, and I think you take advantage of it. So I'm not saying cut Dalvin's usage in half or anything, give him like you know 10 to 15 right. touches a game. I think you just you know, you, you do what Green Bay's done and kind of substitute drives. You know, you go maybe for every, you know, three drives that Dalvin Cook plays, Madison's in there for two of them. I mean, just things like that. It, it's not that hard, and I don't think you lose that much um, by making that adjustment in your game plan. So that's the only thing I would add. And then I think we should also probably give kudos to this offensive line for another really, really good game back-to-back Arizona and Seattle. Two really good games by this offensive line. Vikings are now fourth. Um in pass blocking efficiency per pro football focus. How about that? Fourth. Definitely. definitely a how about that moment for sure. That's kind of surprising. Uh, not something I thought we'd talk, we'd say about this Minnesota Vikings offensive line, but here we are. That's a pretty darn good unit out there. Um, that's being, uh, that's put on display as Cleveland's making some big strides. Brad, Garrett Bradbury, they're using him on screens a ton. That is a big plus of Garrett Bradbury is getting out in sure. space using his uh, athleticism and, uh, to get out in space and be a lead blocker on screens. Brian O'Neill is still elite. No pressures allowed this year from him. So uh, tremendous work by the offensive line. Uh, uh, now the big test, obviously, this coming week is going to be Cleveland and that ferocious D D line. Absolutely. Um, so Madison, by the way, uh, total of 32 touches yesterday, eight targets, six receptions. So 34 potential touches for Alexander Madison. If you want to say that as the quote average for your Minnesota Vikings in terms of what they want to do with their bell cow running back, if you could just give Dalvin Cook 22 of those touches and then Madison like 12, I mean, and then you can also include the fact that Amir Abdullah had five carries, CJ Hand yeah. had two. Uh, give no, give Alexander was a... Madison 14 carries and Dalvin Cook right. like 22. That, I mean, you no. do lose a step with Madison, but you don't lose the vision, the patience, the running ability, and just the overall scheme talent from Dalvin yeah. Cook down to Alexander Madison. Right, right. I mean, I, I think – you know, that's a bit of an outlier yesterday's game where the Vikings just dominated time possession and had so many, I mean, they first down after first yeah. down, chewing up clock, whatever. But I think the point stands that. Um, so I, I think my comparison for Madison, like, you know, when you play Madden 
And, you know, you, you use Dalvin Cook like four plays in a row and suddenly his like stamina thing, like on the play calling icon gets red. Right. What he is there is what Alexander Madison is um, at his like best self, which isn't a bad thing, but it's like, it's like Madison is Dalvin Cook at like 90% speed where still productive, still very usable, still going to get the job done, might not have that breakaway speed or breakaway caliber home run hitting ability, ability like Dalvin does, but um, he's going to hit the hole the right way. He's going to read read that zone blocking scheme in a similar fashion and barrel forward for those yards when they're needed. So uh, I, again, all for it, mixing it up a little bit more increased Madison's usage. And I think it'll be good for his career too. Maybe he'll get a, chi- a chance somewhere eventually after his kind of rookie contract here to, um, you know, get a chance at being a more of a featured role somewhere else, if that's Absolutely. the case. So, which uh, obviously if the Vikings want to keep him around, maybe this is uh, maybe don't use him as much, but you know, I think for the sake of, Dalvin Cook, right. I think it'll be better. Absolutely. And you just look at the, I mean, this is a paycheck day for Alexander Madison. We don't want to gloss over that. Like on a personal level, like hell of a performance for him. He probably just put a couple million dollars in his pocket um, just by putting that game on film. His ability to diagnose a defense and get to that second level and make something happen was pretty impressive on a consistent basis. So, um, all right. We haven't talked about the defense. We're running a little bit low on time here. So I do want to get to them uh, before we get out of here. Uh, we came into the show kind of with the expect, not, I don't want to say expectation, but kind of the, the hope and uh, belief that the Vikings were going to get this victory. A lot of that hinged on the defense's ability to quote, contain Russell Wilson. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, we, we typically use that term regularly with mobile quarterbacks, especially because Mike Zimmer seems to have an issue there. It's very vague. We know that we, we don't have an answer for it. Of course, if Mike Zimmer doesn't, we're definitely not going to have an answer for how to stop the, you know, great passing mobile quarterbacks that are in the NFL. Uh, But what Mike Zimmer did yesterday, particularly in the second half against Russell Wilson was nothing short of contemporary excellence on the defensive side Mm -hmm. of the football in terms of scheming your defense to give you an advantage against a guy that was what five and zero against your team in previous years also dominated you in previous years without, with the exception of the one postseason game played in the snow where no one played well. I mean, this guy has been lethal against the Vikings and the Vikings dialed up enough on defense for 30 minutes yesterday to essentially shut the door on this dude and his offense. Yeah, I mean, the, I think it was the first three possessions of the game where Seattle came out and scored those 17 points. I yeah, believe that's that what was it, it was. Um, and then they didn't score after that, which was, it was cool. It, obviously, it sucks that they got to that hot start and there was a moment there where Seattle was up 17-7. Kirk had just gotten sacked on third down, and I was like, oh, boy, here we go. Right, but right. then that same play, there was the defensive holding on Seattle. That's where the game completely changed. Vikings scored, well, what's the math, 20-something uh, unanswered, 23 unanswered and won the game. Uh, so the thing I liked about it, and I'm not sure – I'm not too in tune on, like, the schematics on this. But one thing I just noticed, Russell Wilson, when he was trying to – escape the pocket or extend the play. It seemed like most of the time he had to go backwards to do so, which is what I, I thought was really good work by Mike Zimmer and his defensive line. Um, now, sometimes he did get out uh, and did, you know, escape the pocket and was able to make a throw on the run, what have you, but it seemed like he had to go backwards, spin around backwards, et cetera, to make that happen first. And I think that's the, the main part here. He's not stepping up, finding lanes in front of him. It's rather curling around, behind him or running backwards to make that happen, which I think is that creates valuable time for your DBs to catch up to open receivers or close those gaps. So big time uh, performance there. Obviously, Everson Griffin was, I thought he was awesome. That spin move is still lethal uh, over the Neil years. Hunter it's, it's been lethal. Spin move too. 
Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, phenomenal. uh, I, yeah, I mean, that's a really good performance. Uh, they shut down DK after that first half. I think he had one catch in the second half. I'm getting frustrated too. I love uh, to see that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's, I think 95% of that defensive performance, especially in the second half was very positive shutting down a, a lethal, uh, quarterback and Russell Wilson and his two really good receivers there in Lockett and DK Metcalf. So obviously Bashad Breeland is like, I guess the big, uh, you know, F on the report card as of right now, I think he's actually the worst graded PFF cornerback right now. Um, so I think that's where you see some Cam Dantzler, uh, you know, uh, tweets potentially there, but, um, so you know, stupid, we'll live with that. We'll, we'll live with that right now, given if you can shut out, shut out the, the defense or excuse me, shut out the, the Seattle offense in the entire second half, you know, we can live with that PFF grade for, that specific player just for a little bit here. A couple points that I want to make here uh, before we get to our game balls. Uh, one thing, the thing that the, the kind of the, the stat that doesn't exist that Drew was just alluding to with like, you know, forcing the quarterback to go backwards. That might be something to investigate. Like that's, that's a, that's a good point. Like, no, that's merely, time. that's merely like my perception of the game. And I could be wrong. No, 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 but no, but it even just if felt you, like it. Even if you're wrong, like the the premise of it, like forcing the quarterback to go backwards as opposed to go laterally in the pocket or stepping up into the pocket. I mean, those are yards. You're adding yards to the equation. Like that's something we just that's math that hasn't. Yeah. I'm sure PFF accounts for it somehow. Right. I'm sure they do. But I, I I haven't seen it. So that's something to consider here, pushing them back as opposed to allowing them to step up. Something to consider moving here in the forward in the, when we kind of see another mobile quarterback in the future here. Uh, I guess Rogers to a degree is included in that conversation mm-hmm. and he'll be up of course, eventually uh, one stat that really stands out to me. And it's the most basic stat of all time, but it really matters here. Russell Wilson, three carries seven yards, rushing seven with a long of four. He had three scrambles, no designed runs. Of course, the one that got away from the Vikings was four yards. The other ones were one and two yards. So when the Vikings allowed him to get outside the pocket, he didn't get too far. That's the difference in this football game. He didn't have the blowout run for 40 or 50 yards alongside the Chris Carson blow blowout run for 30 yards. The Vikings didn't allow that crazy mm-hmm. scramble, that ridiculous downfield throw to Rondale Moore, whatever it is. The stupid play did not happen, and it's because Russell Wilson was more or less contained within the constraints of the tackle position. So yeah. something interesting to keep an eye on. Um I love to see it. I love to see that type of progression, especially from Mike Zimmer, who's so old. Like you just kind of wonder, like, is he stuck in his ways? Well, then he opens up a can of worms where you're like, yeah. all right, he can do this now. I, and I think, I mean, despite the points scored last week against Arizona, I think, and you know, the, the hot start by Seattle in this game, I think that's two really good defensive game plans in a row uh, by Mike Zimmer. against sure. two really good quarterbacks. The stars that are, are getting plays too, so, man. Like the, the goal of a defensive schemist, right is not necessarily always to adapt like have your players adapt to your scheme it's a, to adapt your scheme to your players and i think mike zimmer came in in 2014 with a plan right and he implemented it he got some guys on board who could help teach him you know you think of all of the different former cincinnati guys that have came through here to help teach the vikings the defensive scheme but now you're seven years later in 2021 your scheme is this defense now and you are allowed to kind of have guys 
play within that scheme and then also adapt around them. So like the guys who are making plays right now, they're Eric Kendricks, they're Harrison Smith, they're Daniil Hunter. I mean, it's nice to see the sacks from Everson Griffin too, but your playmakers, your big money guys, those are who are making the plays for you right now. The guys you signed this off season to Xavier Woods, Nick Vigil, the guys that you paid with the intention of getting them reps to give you more positive energy on your team within your scheme is happening. That's mm-hmm. a good thing in and of itself. I know it's a small sample size, but it's a good thing. It means it generally is going to you know, suggest positive results in the future, especially if this team can continue to play as a group as they have so well over the last couple, you know, couple weeks, really, for the most part. I, I'm with you. For the most part, with the few, exception of the Rondell Moore play, the DK Metcalf play, and maybe mm-hmm. the Chris Carson touchdown, pretty good defense as a whole, and you have to be happy with the results that you've mm-hmm. gotten, especially when it ends up in a win over a team like Seattle, who – I mean, they didn't look great yesterday. This is a good football team. So that's a nice victory. Um, All right. Let's wrap this thing up with uh, kind of final notes and game balls here. So your game ball, who I think Kirk Cousins is the obvious one. Yeah. Uh, Do you want to share? Do you want to go off on Kirk Cousins or how do you how do you want to? So I'm going to actually go with a guy we haven't talked at all about yet. uh, And that is offensive coordinator Clint Kubiak. Okay. Um, And I I, and I say this because. I, I give him the game ball because I like the way that he basically implemented the same game plan, or at least it appeared. So the same exact game plan that he would have used if Dalvin cook was in the game. Um, didn't overthink it yeah. um, stuck to the plan. Madison got all those touches that Dalvin probably would have mm-hmm. um, also mixed in a little bit more play action uh, in, in this game, added a little bit more help with protection that helped the offensive line that helped uh, create those one-on-one mismatches um, on the outside with Jefferson and Thielen. So um, what a game by Clint Kubiak. I think this was a game where he kind of had to have a really good one. Um, you know, you're at home, you've got um, some very key, I think, mismatches you to create with that Seattle defense. Did a really good job of that. Um, schemed open Tyler Conklin quite a bit in that game as well. So, again, I mean, that offensive performance was was darn near flawless. Um, and they, they took a ton of time off that clock, which is a perfect Mike Zimmer offensive performance. So uh, I'm going to give Clint Kubiak some credit for this game uh, did a lot of the things we were kind of criticizing him for not doing those first couple of weeks mm-hmm. and put together a really good plan and, and good enough for that win. So uh, props to him. That's my game ball. I think we've spent enough time talking about Kirk cousins, but in theory, right. I'm going to give him my game ball, but just yeah. for the sake of adding additional content, instead of regurgitating the same thing over and over, I'll add a different one. Uh, and for me, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that it's Greg Joseph. And I alluded to this before, mm-hmm. um, how, it, it, you know, it's quote nice that he's, you know, that he got these three field goals or whatever yesterday, but, um, He's having a great season, folks, with the exception to the one missed kick. And I hate it just as much as you. I mean, you guys were here for the show, right? Like, you guys didn't miss me ragging on the Vikings for having these same problems, right? Like, I I was right there with you. But, like, this is the type of thing where it's like you talk about the kicker position being mentally – like, it's very mental, right? Same type of thing as golf. If you miss a shot, all of a sudden you start missing, like, six in a row, right? Uh, For him to get back on the horse immediately – and just get right back out there and do his job effectively. Uh, that's how you know you have a professional at the helm, right? This isn't a Blair Walsh situation where you kind of got, at least I, I kind of got the impression it, from Walsh that he was in his head towards the end of his Vikings tenure. I'm not getting that impression from Joseph. He's very level-headed. I think that he's was obviously disappointed. You could see it in his face during his press conference, but it seems like he's not letting it get the best of him. And so to me, that in itself is worth being like, all right, man, like this is like you did your job to the best of your ability in a very mentally strenuous situation. Keep in mind, he misses that first field goal 
yesterday against Seattle, all hell probably breaks loose to a degree on offense. Like it, it stops that chain of kind of effect. And it also probably loses him his job because I highly doubt Mike Zimmer gives him another opportunity to kick a field goal after missing his first one of the day. So to get back on the horse, hit that field goal, and then hit a couple easier ones down the way. I mean, this guy's hit, what, 450 yarders? If you take back the one play against Arizona, which sucks, he's having a great year. So I'm, I feel really good about his performance. I think he deserves the satisfaction of being able to kind of soak this one in and be like, I was perfect in a game that we won. And really... I mean, nine points, how many extra points was there involved in there too? Three extra points, 12 points. He was essentially the difference in this football game. So mm-hmm. also, good for Greg Joseph. Jason Myers missed his first field goal in like 37 tries uh, for Seattle. Hey, hey, how about like, is this not how ridiculous? About is this not ridiculous? We just talked about the luck factor, right? Like I know. We, got, we took heat for that too. And by the way, it just evened out, which is why we talk about prob- probability, law of averages, ratios, et cetera, because – all statistics said Jason Meyer was hitting that kick, right? I think all of us at home expected him to hit that kick. And the streak certainly says he's going to hit that kick. Pete Carroll thinks he's hitting that kick and he missed the kick. So it's like, this is unheard of for the Vikings. And this is the luck factor we're talking about. That was luck turning in the correct direction. And we have statistics to prove it. It's not just like pulling luck out of thin air. Like it's visible. You just saw luck happen and it finally turned. And what do you know? The Vikings won. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that kicker stat where the Vikings are like kickers against the Vikings are like better than any other team, you know, that, yeah. and it's not even close. So it's, it's perfect timing. I think that we brought that up last show with, uh, yeah. and that, and then suddenly Jason Myers misses his first kick. And I think it was 37 tries, or that was the 37th yeah. try in a row or something like that. Unreal. Uh, Meanwhile, and, Matt Prater, of course, misses for yeah. 68 and you get the pick six from Jackson. Yeah, 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 that's Some of classic. these things are just hilarious. Like, it's just like we also Justin just Tucker said. missed a field goal in Detroit. People are not going to talk about that, but he missed one and then right. made the obviously the 66 yarder. But Which was it was hilarious. a weird, like exciting, like uh, buzz when Myers missed that kick. It wasn't like your your normal like, you know, when you go to a football game and the kicker misses. It's like, oh, hey, he missed. It was like a weirdly like there was a, it was it was yeah. quiet at first because it was like. <laughs> what just happened (laughs) and then it was celebration after that so i mean that was that was kind of fun to be a part of but yeah jason myers uh you hate to see it you hate to see it you hate to see it for sure um any final notes before we get out of here i don't think so uh go usa team uh usa dominating the Ryder cup told you guys that'd be a fun and it it was fun i was also not fun though because it was like over basically on saturday right uh but team usa big dub uh europeans get uh kind of a taste of their own medicine for wearing those cheesehead uh uh, Packers hats during the week. So uh, they deserve that. Uh, go USA. Uh, I'm looking forward to the going back to Europe in a couple of years. Um, I just wanted to point out, we covered a lot of ground on this show, but we did not touch on Jordan Berry's punt. Uh, so that's what I wanted to end <laughs> on um, because that was a phenomenal way to end that. It's like his game. second punt of the game too, by the way, like didn't have the punt like at all during the game, but then the well, one he hits. I am as big of a fan of special teams as you're going to find for someone who did not play special teams at the collegiate level. Like I love watching snappers do well. I love watching kickers do well, but punting is really like, that's my shit. I love a good punter. And that was singularly the best punt that I've seen in a very long time. And there have been some really good ones, but like this required no help. This was like coffin corner out at the three, like they're, landed. They're, they're attacking with everything they have to try and block it. He just yeah, has yeah. like the quick trigger on it. It's like the quick release in basketball. Where you just get, you just flick it up there. Yep. That's what it was with the punt. And it was money. It was, it, it could not have been more perfect. Like it was literally like it, that was the definition of coffin corner. Um, 
and you love to see that. I mean, how about the special teams as a whole? I know I just went off on, you know, Greg Joseph, and you have a couple of moments there, whatever. But the special teams much also improved. The CJ Ham block that went viral on the, on one of the punt attempts. That was that was nice too. Love that. Love to see anything positive from CJ Ham as well because of what a pillar he is in this community. An amazing guy. So, uh, I think that's a great place to end. Jordan Perry. Good. Jordan Perry ended the game with a punt, and we're ending the show with his punt attempt. So, uh, fantastic performance from the Vikings. It's nice to get one in the win column. It's nice to get a pretty convincing two score victory for your Minnesota Vikings as well. Um, that will, you know, definitely help us push into this Cleveland week a little bit easier. Um, we'll be back to talk about the Browns on Thursday. Um, they're coming off of some interesting performances. I know they're winning some games, but they're not. They haven't been lights out by any means. And I gotta say. I know Drew and I were leaning a little bit more confident after Arizona, but after the performance against Seattle, I'm leaning a little bit more confident now than I was last week. And oh. I'm not putting it away. Optimism not, is a dangerous thing. It is thing, dangerous. Man. It's a drug, man. It's a drug. <laughs> and I, I'm not I'm not saying they can't beat Cleveland. I'm gonna have about what you know 72 hours to think on that before about well, 48 hours to think on that before we do our preview show. But I'm excited, man. I'm excited about the potential. I think it's gonna be a great game for the Vikings on Sunday. I love playing Cleveland too, especially because it's Stefanski. So we'll get all that out there later on this week. Prefer we'll Mike Prefer too. Mike Prefer too. That's a good point. Uh, we'll talk more about all of that later on this week figure out kind of where the Vikings are at going into the weekend. Um, until then, make sure you're checking out the rest of the Climb in the Pocket Network. Uh, you can find all of those guys on Daily Norseman. You can find them on the Climb in the Pocket Network.com. Um, and of course, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, those guys are putting up daily shows, podcasts, live shows, et cetera, on a regular basis. Uh, Producer Dave does a great job giving everyone an opportunity on our team to put out some new content. So make sure you're checking that out. Um, for us specifically, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever else you listen to your podcasts, um, you can leave us a comment on Daily Norseman. I always go through those. I find them extremely entertaining, even if you guys don't like the show. So make sure you drop us a line. We enjoy that. And finally, if you prefer to watch the show, we are on YouTube as well. Um, you can find us there and you can drop us a comment there as well. So until we speak again, uh, enjoy this victory. Uh, it was definitely a fun one. It was nice to kind of get that side of the relief, but uh, back to business later on this week. And so until then, folks, um, enjoy this one and we'll catch you later on this week. Oh.